Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 278 of Retro Encounter. My name is Eva Padilla. I am your host for this episode, and this one is going to be celebrating the 25th anniversary of Pokemon, a very special occasion. And to join me on this special occasion, we have some of our illustrious um, other RPG fan staffers, and we're also going to have us tell us our uh, favorite Pokemon. For example, my favorite is the Gen 3 uh, monstrous puppet known as Baynut. Peter Treisenberg, what is your favorite Pokemon? Uh, hi, I'm Peter Treisenberg, uh, and my favorite Pokemon is Espeon. Espeon. And Quentin, what's up? Hey, uh, this is Quentin, and my favorite Pokemon is also Espeon, so that's wild. Oh my gosh! Whoa! Incredible, bros. <laughs> that's a that's a ditto. We call that a ditto mirror match, right? Ooh, there. <laughs> isn't that fascinating? And who is that that just called it a ditto mirror match? I'm Nikki. Hello. Hello, Nikki. My favorite Pokemon is not Ditto. It's Verizian. Verizian. Inch. Ooh, good Ooh, choice. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. And introducing new to Retro and Connor, it's Josh Lewis. Hello, everybody. Uh, Josh here, and uh, my favorite Pokemon is the Vicious Hellhound, Houndoom. Yes! Ooh, I love this. Also good choice. Ooh, I love this. Puppy! I am, a, I am usually a big Gen 2 stand, so absolutely love that choice. So, guys, we're all here gathered because uh, we love Pokemon, and we're excited to celebrate this 25th anniversary of Pokemon. So... I wanted to start this by kind of asking people, what was your first impression or the first time you came across Pokemon? What did it look like to you? Peter, what did it what did it look like to you when you first came across Pokemon? Uh, so, okay, man, I have to go back because <laughs> I was six years old. Um, uh, I was, I was, I was, yeah, first grade, uh, I this is in around that time was like right at the tail end of Gen One and beginning of Gen Two. So Gold and Silver were brand new, and uh, the first movie was like on was on video. Second movie was in theaters, I think. Um, and so it was just one of those things where it was like, you know, all as a kid, like everyone's like getting into it and collecting the cards and playing the games i didn't have a game boy at the time so i sort of like watched other kids play like over their shoulder i was that i was that guy um and uh eventually i got my own by the time i got i got a game boy advance in gen 3 and played a sapphire version and that was when i really started getting into the games um and yeah um aside from a brief hiatus when i was in high school um i've pretty much been a pokemon fan ever since it's really has been one of those series that's stuck with me uh, through a lot, and I, I'm, I'm glad that I've, uh, I'm glad to have had this uh, in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that uh, a lot of us share. Josh, what was your first, uh, what was your first brush or first blush with Pokemon? Okay, so we're going all the way back to the beginning. Um, I, <laughs> I, I feel like I was exposed to the, um, the anime before. Uh, the cartoon or something like that um, before I got the games. But I've been playing since the original um, Red and Blue versions when they were released in the U.S. Um, and, yeah, they just completely changed my life. I mean, they were really my first um, my first text-heavy RPG. So they kind of taught me to read in a way as well, um, in addition to... Oh, you probably heard my uh, real-life Pokemon there. Uh, my dog's here. Um so Your yeah, my houndoom, <laughs> and um, puppy. Yeah, puppy. and yeah, Pokemon. I've been playing consistently ever since you know the first generation. Um, Gold and silver are probably my favorites to this day. Um, I got really into the competitive aspect of it for a while, um, and that's kind of what I focus on for the most part these days, just because I like the um, like the mechanical nature of things, like understanding how things work and all that. And, um, but I'll talk more about that when we uh, get a little bit later on in the podcast. But yeah, I mean, I've been playing it for years. Love it, to, love it to death. It means the it means the world to me. And um, yeah, I always look forward to seeing what Game Freak comes out with. 
Absolutely. And yeah, there are so many mechanics that uh, go into what Pokemon is today that have evolved, <laughs> pun not intended, for I get it. Uh, for a quarter century. Nikki, what was your what was your first take with Pokemon like? Uh, it's kind of similar to Josh. My uh, friend at the time would invite me over to her house and we would watch the anime uh, together. Um, but then one day in third grade, uh, a friend of mine brought his Game Boy Color over and he had Crystal version and he really wanted me to play it. And uh, so I played it. He insisted that I borrow the game and, you know, take it home and play it and then bring it back. Um, so I did. My parents didn't like that. They've never been a big fan of uh, borrowing things. So they're like, take that back and give it back to him the next day. And I'm like, okay. Um, so I did. But then, um, lo and behold, uh, when I returned it to him the next day uh my dad picked me up from school took me to the toy store and said okay pick one of those and we'll get it for you so i got uh, a game boy color that the paint was like metallic it's shown in uh, gold and silver and it had like a pichu and a pikachu on it and the little power uh button was pikachu's cheek oh. so it was on his cheek glowed it was really cute so my first uh video game ever was crystal um yeah and although i haven't played the switch games i've played every pokemon game since then that's a beautiful memory <laughs> quinson what about you well um i have uh, slight similarities with nikki's just like nikki had slight similarities with josh's and uh so first of all nikki bless your friend it sounds like he was yes. really on an epic quest to get you into pokemon back in the day yeah he really was <laughs> that's determination right it there. is so i had a friend um it was sixth grade and um this is he's still a friend of mine to this day uh his name is eddie and um I'm going to make him listen to this later, so he'll be like, hey, I was mentioned. But anyway, um, I had just recently met him. Uh, he was wearing a Cloud Strife shirt, I think, the day I met him or something like that. And I had asked him, oh, who's that guy? He looks cool. So he introduces me to FF7. So it's a few months later. And um, it was actually a little bit before Pokemon Red and Blue came to the West. And um, he had gotten his hands on it, and he was, he was playing it uh, ahead of time. It was like the Japanese version. And... Um, he showed me a little bit of it. Uh, I started, you know, messing around with it. I didn't understand at the time. I mean, you know, so I'm saying like, is this like, is this gonna have like an epic story like Final Fantasy VII? He's like, not quite. And then I'm saying like, so I get on route one, you know, I've, I've got my starter and I catch a Pidgey and um, I, I was just freaking out. I was like, so this Pidgey's gonna be with me for the rest of my life. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, yeah, it's gonna be with you for the rest of your life. And I was like, does he have like a character arc? And uh, Eddie's, Eddie's just kind of like, um, if you want, you know? So, so I have that, uh, well, I ended up catching a Pidgey once I borrowed uh, Blue from him. And I've been transferring that Pidgey ever since. So the character arc of that Pidgey is basically my life, I guess. So is that Pidgey still around with you? Like... Yeah, yeah, he's, he's getting up there at this point. Uh, how long do birds usually live? I mean, he's like <laughs> 25 at this point, right? <laughs> I'd say about that. <laughs> That's awesome. I, uh, as as with a lot of y'all, yeah, it was a pretty similar thing for me. You know, I watched my sister and I used to watch the anime when we were younger. Um, I am just about as old as the the Pokemon series, and so um, my first um, my first blush with the games was um, for my seventh or eighth birthday. I can't remember at this point. My dad had gotten me a Game Boy Advance. And I looked th this up because I thought it was like a Berenstain Bears thing, um, where I was like, oh, I didn't actually get a Game Boy Advance with Pokemon Crystal. But for a <laughs> while, they did sell Game Boy Advances that came bundled with a Game Boy Color game. And uh, that was my first game, was Pokemon Crystal. Um, and um, 
I think it messed up my eyes for life because I had pretty good vision. And then like three months after I got the doctor was like, oh, you need glasses. <laughs> oh, I can totally oh. relate to that. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, I've, I'm sure I was just, I absolutely messed up my eyes. But you know what? I get cute glasses now and it was so worth it because I'm still playing these dang games today. Um, That's yeah. right. And now there's a backlight, so it's fine. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and I can only mess up my eyes if I want to, dang it. Um, and <laughs> Who I, needs eyes when you have Pokemon? Exactly. Um, I only have eyes for Pokemon, and sometimes I don't even have those. There we go. Um, so I remember um, just playing that so much and training up my Poliwhirl to level 100 because I didn't want to evolve him into a Poliwrath, um, but I didn't have a link cable to make him a Politoed. So I just stuck with a Poliwhirl. And... Um, that was also my first plushie, and that's kind of where it all started, and uh, still with the games today. Um, and so it's kind of incredible that these, at the time, these small little Game Boy games from 1996 ended up becoming the biggest media franchise in the world. It is now a franchise of over $100 billion in revenue, which is just mind-boggling to think. It's bigger than some like Hello Kitty or Mario. Um, so the Pokemon games, as, um, as we've seen, they took a long time to be developed. Um, I think, Quentin, you had mentioned that there was like a six-year development cycle, right? Uh, yeah, I was I was looking into it, and um, it's just kind of nuts. Uh, if you look for like concept art, early concept art, I'll see things uh, here and there that are dated like 1990, and it's just yeah. thinking about it, like wow, you know, this was already in somebody's brain in 1990. It's it's wild. Yeah, um, I had seen that it had evolved from the creator Satoshi Tajiri. Um, basically wanting to collect insects and being uh, saddened by the urbanization of his um, home in Japan when he was a kid because there are less places to go out in nature and less places to go and collect these insects. And so he basically wanted to um, make kind of an insect collecting game. And it took a long time to do this because Game Freak, um, the company that makes Pokemon and still does, had started off just selling uh, small magazines. It was kind of like a small game informer or a, um, you know, edge, things like that. And then eventually they shifted over into game development, but they weren't as, they weren't, you know, Iwatas in terms of development or something. These were pretty unseasoned folks that were, had a great idea and amazing art, but weren't yet ready for that sort of big time. Um, so it's kind of wild that it's evolved throughout the years to become this big thing. So what is it what is it about Pokemon? What is the stuff that makes it so that Pokemon has become this? What do we think about that? I think uh you know it's kind of a collection of things. Um a collection of factors that factored into games about collection. <laughs> that was horrible, but you know. Um, <laughs> there was kind of this cool kids play games vibe back in the 1990s. I mean, it's still true today, but it was like this whole thing, you know, slick hair, sunglasses, you're 10 years old, your dad takes you fishing or whatever. And then you come home and you hop aboard your PlayStation, your N64. Um, so the Game Boy, it was already a thing for years, of course, but like this idea of sharing an adventure with friends and you can do it while you're outside. You can play with your sister, your brother, uh, kind of compete for who catches the most Pokemon. Uh, but there's a real journey to it all within, like, the campaign. And I think in Japan, um, since JRPGs were a big thing already, that was probably sort of a magnetic thing. Like, oh, you know, there's this, there's this JRPG story going on. And then in the West, uh, maybe it was more of the social aspect. I don't know. You know, get together during a sleepover, get your Kadabra into an Alakazam, and then, you know, kind of wreck the Elite Four because Alakazam was an absolute monster back then. But yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, God. Psychic types. Were oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they were totally unbalanced. Them, them and, you know, the... And if you had a Gengar, like, it was game over for everyone else. But not much. even not even yeah. because of the, the... There were no ghost-type moves in the game besides, like, Nightshade and I think it was Lick. So right. it, it couldn't even use ghost type moves to do anything, and they were physical back then anyway. So, yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, 
there was a glitch uh, that made it so Ghost didn't affect Psychic, even though it was supposed to be weak to Ghost. Yeah, I remember that. And then the only bug move was like Twin Needle. So <laughs> That's right. and then special stat. We did. You basically it. bring we your B drill and pray, or the Alakazam just wipes you out. Oh, goodness. And I think Alakazam outspeeds, doesn't it? I think so. Yeah, Zam, Zam outspeeds yeah. Gengar, yeah, for sure. Has... Alakazam was a, was a good idea. Yeah, it's... I mean, the, and that's, you know, kind of another thing with these games is that they were pretty... The early game was pretty unbalanced because this was, you know, a new team t trying some real new th things in this. Wow, I was having trouble with that. Um, <laughs> and so you had all this weird stuff like yeah you can pick um your starter and ostensibly by the end of the game it depends how you trained it how you trained the pokemon up but you know if you pick charmander you're gonna have some troubles with brock very early on and if you don't get a uh -huh. if you don't get a, a nidoran to learn double kick you are not beating him like that's just not happening as someone who picks the correct choice in Gen 2, that being Chikorita, I know this problem very well. <laughs> Almost every single gym in Johto is advantageous to Chikorita. I hadn't thought of that before, but I, I suppose maybe only Morty? Uh, Falconer is super effective, Bugsy is super effective, Whitney's not, surprisingly. <laughs> All of Morty's ghosts are part poison. Um, Shuck, I think, is, like, one of the few that you can deal with. Um, Jasmine resists. Price is super effective. And then Dragons resist. That's, what, five or six out of the eight? Yeah, yeah. I guess Chikorita's hard mode, yeah, isn't they're it? They're just jealous. Kind of Chikorita's still the right yeah. choice. Don't get they're me wrong. Jealous. Chikorita is the best. But, meanwhile, yikes. Meanwhile, you'll have a pretty good early game advantage with a Bulbasaur. Um, since that'll give you an advantage over the first two gems, at mm -hmm. least. Um, I think this is all really. Um, I don't know. This I, is all really posing a, an interesting point uh, that I think kind of lends itself to why Pokemon is so popular as well. Um, the fact that every single person who plays this game, they're going to play it a different way. Uh, no two people are going to play it exactly the same way. They're going to find different Pokemon. They're going to build their own team. They're going to go at things differently. So I think that replayability um, and that experience is something that really lends itself to, um, you know, the popularity of it. Absolutely, yeah. It, I think the that the gameplay mechanics and the amount of player expression that it involves, especially as it keeps going on and on, and they keep adding more Pokemon, the capacity for the expression in playstyle, in personality of the Pokemon that you have, it just keeps expanding, and it keeps kind of making things even more inclusive, in ways that are both um, subtle. And and quite unsubtle, you know. There are, it could be that there's a that there's a typing that's introduced, like darker steel, that someone just really vibes with, or um, like in the in the eighth gen of Pokemon, they had um, the the Hatena Hatterene Pokemon line, which basically just looks like a trans flag, and it's like cool. That feels like <laughs> that feels <laughs> like very on the nose. Yeah. <laughs> Hatterene says trans rights. Hatterene says trans rights, absolutely. <laughs> um, and I think that kind of goes into the, um, with the player expression of it, it kind of goes into the mechanics, which is, a, I'd say, part of how exactly these games have evolved. So, um, so Josh, you had mentioned kind of earlier about how the games have gone mechanically. So what's... What exactly has gone into the mechanics of Pokemon, you think? I mean, if we look at back at right at the beginning, um, I mean, even in their most basic state, red and blue, uh, they are remarkably deep, uh, but at the same time so horribly unbalanced and broken <laughs> that um, you know, certain types are just borderline unusable at times. Um, like, if you look at the bug types, I mean, their base, their base stats are so bad, uh, even in Gen 1, like... There's nothing that's really usable except for maybe Scyther. And, um, but as, as we get through the generations, we introduce um, types like, as you mentioned, Dark and Steel. They are introduced to balance out the type chart. They, um, they uh, Steel resists Psychic, and Dark is completely immune to Psychic. 
Um, and then in, in the second gen, we're introducing things like held items. We're splitting up the special stat so that it's not just one stat, it's now two stats. Um, in Gen 3, we're adding things like abilities that further help to individualize the Pokemon and make them, you know, your own. Um, and it just keeps going from there. I think the last really huge update to the mechanics came in Generation 4 with the Diamond and Pearl, um, the physical attack and special attack split, which just com <laughs> completely made so many Pokemon way better. Like, uh, like Gyarados and Gengar, for example. Um, Gengar, up until that point, it was primarily a special attacker, but both of its um, types, Poison and Ghost, they were physical attacks. Uh, so you couldn't really take advantage of that same type attack bonus that you would normally get. Um, same thing with Gyarados. Um, water was a special type at the time, so you couldn't use anything. Um, you couldn't take advantage of its higher um, attack stat for moves like Waterfall or Surf. Um, but when they split up the attack and the special attack split, um, all of a sudden, you know, these you have these Pokemon that are just powerhouses now, and they can actually fully take advantage of their types. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think that was probably the last huge um, update to the to the battle system, the last really seriously notable one, anyway. Hmm. I don't know if it. I don't know if it was just me, but I seem to remember bug types getting an insane buff in Gen Seven. Um, and I don't know if I was just like not paying attention earlier, but all I remember is um, uh, Leech Life suddenly do. Uh, oh yeah, Leech doing Life doing an insane <laughs> amount of damage all of a sudden. Yeah, they buffed the power Leech, on Leech it. Leech Life. Yeah, Leech Life went up in base power from I believe twenty to eighty. Um, which completely, yeah, yeah. which completely changed it, things for so many of these um, physical-based um, bug-type Pokemon, or just Pokemon who can learn it. So, um, uh, Guzma's Galissapod like practically wiped my party the first time <laughs> I bought it, and I'm just like, I didn't think this was gonna be so hard, but here I am getting my butt handed to me by Samurai Bug. Yeah, it, it's and and that's one of the things with bugs over the years is that you know in the first gen they were so weak and they are still the type that a uh, fully evolved pokemon have the lowest base stats but they have some very weird mechanics to them and some very interesting buffs like having um leech life getting buffed or the quiver dance move which was i think introduced in gen 6 which raises special attack special defense and speed all by one that's Gen 5, because that was Volcarona's right. move. Gen 5 Broken gave us the killer, killer bugs. Yes, you're right. Yeah, Volcarona was immediately just out of the gate with that quiver dance. It's like, what is going on here? And Volcarona is so good. Yeah, and adding that... Oh, go ahead, Quentin. Well, it's always been a little funny to me that in um, earlier games... Uh, you know, we have this this legendary creation story uh, behind Satoshi Tajiri and his his insect collecting and that sort of thing. And then you get into Kanto, and it's like, wow, these poor guys are useless. Like you think they'd be a little stronger. <laughs> so it's so it's like over time they're finally reaching that level, and you know, it's it's all very over the top. And I hope he's proud now that uh, Leech Life is is base eighty. I mean, that's where it should have been. I'm just, I'm just glad that my my boy Butterfree finally got its due in Gen Eight, because G Max Butterfree is mm -hmm. amazing. Yeah, and that's, and I think that's also part of the core appeal of these, um, of these Pokemon is that their, um, their ability for expression also changes, um, based on the mechanics that they go around. For example, as I mentioned with Bayonet being my favorite Pokemon, Bayonet in Gen Three plays very different from Baina in Gen 7 when it got a Mega Evolution, which, you know, is no longer in Gen 8, but that was a sea change in what it did, in what it did, in um, both its form its and its monstrous attack at that point, and giving it a um, an ability called Prankster, which um, gives it priority for status uh, moves and non-attacking moves. Um, and I think that's Kind of the the wonderful thing is that you have these Gen One Pokemon, that their 
they don't change in terms of how exactly they look too much, although sometimes they do, but the mechanics around them can change. So a Pokemon that came out 25 years ago that maybe I never would have used in a million years um, suddenly becomes one of my favorites or something. On that note, I do um, want to mention one quick thing. Um, I did forget that the fairy type was introduced back in Generation 6 with X and Y, and um, that was actually incredibly huge at the time because uh, at the at that point in the general like meta game or whatever you want to call it, um, dragon types were extremely scary and uh, they needed to be balanced. <laughs> they needed to be balanced. So here's the fairy type. It's completely immune to dragon type moves, and a lot of them play a more defensive role. So as you were saying with some of those Generation One Pokemon like Wigglytuff and Clefable, they're now fairy types. So they have like completely different roles than they used to have back in the day. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I um, would run a mono, I started running a mono fairy type team in Gen 7 and Clefable was part of that. Um, yeah. And it helped having those fairies in there because we stopped seeing uh, Garchomps all the time in every competitive team. <laughs> They're still around, but it's not as bad as it used to be, at least. Thank God they didn't give uh, Garchomp Dragon Dance with the newest gen. Can you imagine that? That'd be oh, a nightmare. No, 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 no. No, no, no. Yeah, like, it was like Flygon. Yes, please give Dragon Dance. Garchomp, no. Please, please don't make this worse than it has to be. Um, In before um, Shining, Shining Diamond and... Pearl and Diamond Remix. Oh, no, no. Peter, you have me scared now. Oh, no. There's going to be the very first Mega Z-Move equipped Pokemon, and it's only Garchomp. Please, no. We want these to be faithful faithful remakes. Garchomp is now overpowered again. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think um, as the mechanics have evolved, our ways of communicating and um, you know trading and battling have evolved as well. I mean, Nikki, you had talked about like your friend giving you this, um, you know, letting you play Pokemon Crystal, and I can imagine that you know throughout the years you've also introduced people to it as well as the cycle has kind of continued. Oh yeah, <laughs> throughout my uh, days, I've been kind of like oh. You know, Pokemon is for babies. Why are you playing it in middle school and high school? Like, yeah, that's mm -hmm. right. Yeah. Very cool. Then you go to college and you realize nobody cares. <laughs> and you can do whatever you we want. We had a Pokemon club in college. I was the, uh, I was the uh, president my final year in college there. We had a gym system. So basically uh, eight of us would form up and we would make our own badges that we printed out and then club members would come in and battle us and then if they won they got an actual badge um that's fantastic and really then cool. at the end of the year they got to fight each other in an elite four tournament to see who would become the champion so that was pretty fun Nikki, wow. i, so I love this cool, so much man. i love this so much oh me that's too. great me too my uh my team was uh splash based they saw this like mega Gyarados used Splash, and like the f their face would just change. <laughs> it was great. Oh my gosh! Was it was it a, like a was this before Z moves and before Splash? Oh, would Splash. Actually... <laughs> yeah, this was Gen Six. Gen Seven came out like right as I graduated. Ooh. Yeah, because because you know, and, and even the moves um, kind of evolved because Splash had always been this useless move, and then with. The advent of Z moves suddenly Z uh, Z splash adds plus three to your attack all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that would be a little too uh, scary. I was supposed to be the first gym. Oh, I see. <laughs> so I was like, all right, every Pokemon that could learn Splash, I had on my team because you can breed it onto a lot of Pokemon like Delibird, and I'm like, let's go. You can. Oh my gosh, that's. Delibird has some very strange moves as, you know, as... Oh, yeah. They're all... Pokemon is... As you get to, you know, 800, you know, 800 plus Pokemon, you're bound to have some real weirdos in there. And Pokemon like Delibird and Smeargle uh, really fit that bill very well. 
I really mm -hmm. enjoy that Nikki like role played hardcore into this by by sort of limiting um, yourself so much about this. You know, having that first gym leader mentality in mind. Um, that's just great. I love it. Oh yeah, uh, we we wanted the we wanted the gyms to be accessible. We didn't want people coming in and then getting discouraged that they couldn't beat the first gym leader because they played with like fully ivy bred teams and mm, stuff. Mm -hmm. So I was like, hey, you know, I'll do it. Like I'll be the. F I don't care if everybody beats me; they'll have fun. So here you go, Deli Bird used Splash. <laughs> oh, it can do that, huh? <laughs> and. As we kind of can, as there's these different ways that we uh, communicate and relate to the game, whether that's playing the video games, or making uh, role playing, or we're watching the show, we're playing the card game. There's just so much to this franchise, and the way that we interact with it have changed in terms of the games. You know, we started off in 1996 with these novel link cables. Of being able to trade and battle with your friends if you know you were close enough and you both had this link cable um, and as the years have gone on it's amazing how the world of Pokemon has gotten smaller and smaller you know when I was a kid I didn't even have a link cable and so this was a this was a single-player experience entirely and then when I was um, when I was in middle school I was showing my dad my DS and I was like, oh my God, dad, I just, I just traded with someone in Japan, like <laughs> someone in Japan, dad. And mm -hmm. he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? I'm like, look at this. <laughs> and, you know, now we're at the point where people are able to trade and battle throughout the world. And so how do you think like Pokemon is kind of a serving, how do you think Pokemon is serving as a, uh, corollary to the way our world has become a kind of miniaturized in some way I think it's sort of um, it's aside from just having that inherent appeal of like collecting and battling there's sort of a universal language to that um, but also like because Pokemon has always managed to sort of stay on the cusp of the new communication methods so, like, the Wi-Fi connection on the DS took advantage of that. Um, on the... Now on the, on the Switch, we have all that stuff pretty much built in right from the get-go. When Pokemon Go came out, like, everyone has a mobile phone, and all of a sudden it's, like... the And that, that blew up, because all of a sudden this is accessible even to people who don't regularly play video games. and it's And it's just sort of, like... Yeah, so I think they managed to just kind of find that worldwide market with, like, the right mix of, you know, multimedia uh, presence and just that core appeal of collecting and trading and battling. And then just writing and ma making sure that, that they stayed relevant. Um, like, I don't have to go out and buy a link cable for my switch to go trade pokemon because tradition <laughs> it's also interesting how um the, the way the different ways that they encourage um global trading as well like if you breed a uh, if you breed two pokemon from different um different countries they'll have a higher chance of be being a shiny uh when they come out of the egg i think um one of one of the things that uh really intrigues me about the franchise tying into uh, what Eva was saying is how sort of like the in-game vernacular um, the dialogue from the NPCs and that sort of thing has changed over time from uh, you know back when uh, the GTS first came out um, in Diamond and Pearl where it was like this huge thing and everyone's like I can't believe I can trade across the world this is nuts and I think that's kind of how you know everyone felt back then and then as the world around us has gotten smaller, you start to see um, a little bit less uh, craziness uh, <laughs> in the games from the NPCs themselves reacting to it. Um, I think with with uh, Sword and Shield, for example, it's it's still kind of presented like, hey, this is awesome, because it is. But it's not like, I can't believe that I'm about to fight um, this this person in japan and you player shouldn't be able to believe it either like it's just it's there and then with pokemon go um i still remember uh, i was on a greyhound um 
it's an American uh, long-distance bus company, uh, in case anyone doesn't know. And it was back in uh, June of 16, I think, something like that. And I saw this kid and her dad, and I swear they were, like, catching a machop or something just in the wilderness of Montana. And um, it's, like, nothing else around. I mean, wow. It really was pretty amazing when it first came out, that's for sure. Um, I, also, I also just think it's kind of funny that, like, um, another thing about, aside from just the accessibility of the games... Um, the, the way Pokemon has sort of transcended language barriers, um, did, did you know Gaming did a really interesting video, I think it was them at least, about Pokemon's localization, how the English localization was, a lot of the Pokemon names here were like largely thanks to one guy, um, and then that became the basis for the other translations when they eventually branched out into other languages, which was just I, something I always thought was pretty funny. So even though, like, I think Pikachu is the only Pokemon that has, like, the same name in every region, it's just interesting how, like, some of those core tenets and identities of each Pokemon just kind of carry over, um, depending on who is, uh, on where, where they're, you're from, you know? Yeah. yeah, the names, the names might be different, but I'm sure a lot of people around the world can look at, they might have a different name for a Bulbasaur or something, but they know... They know what's up when they see a Bulbasaur, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and as these and as these games have gone on, you know, when a franchise lasts this long, its core demographic and the people it's trying to reach is going to change, and the people it thinks it can hold on to kind of change. And I think we've kind of seen with um, Pokemon Go and games like Pokemon Let's Go, Pikachu, and Eevee, we've seen kind of a move from. Um, at least a, a segment of Game Freak and from the Pokemon Company to a more uh, casual and younger audience, for better or worse. And um, I'm kind of wondering, do people think that like Pokemon is still for us? And is it actually like to the next generation, or is this still put, still part of us in a way? Um, I don't think there's anything about Pokemon that that makes it inherently limiting to its age demographic. Yeah, I think it's kind of for everyone. Like, um, it's managed to stay relevant with with kids, which is important because it's you know that is the target demographic. But it, they've also done a good job of keeping things of, around for older fans. Um, and they've done a good job of like I mean not I, I mean they haven't like conceded to I know that this drives some parts of the fan base crazy but they haven't really conceded to like a lot of fans like oh we want the we are getting the open world game but like we're not getting we want a Pokemon game that has all the gens and all the Pokemon and we also want it to be dark and edgy and rated M for some reason <laughs> and it's like no. This game is for six-year-olds. Truly, we need the Shadow the Hedgehog of Pokemon. <laughs> no. I mean, you you say that, but that's basically what Coliseum was. But even then, like... <laughs> hey, I like Coliseum. Yeah. Even, even Coliseum. I love... Um, I love Coliseum. I love how uh, one of those games... Uh, I don't remember officially how it's said. What is it? Uh, Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness? It's you like... You got it. <laughs> yeah, so the XD, you know, like a lot of other people, why I always it, see. Why is it called Pokemon XD? Yeah, like I'm always thinking, and, and so it, it tried to be a little edgy too, but then I see XD right there, so it's like, it's almost like it's making fun of itself. <laughs> One of these days, they're going to make an, they're, they're gonna make another horror game, and it's going to be called Pokemon Uwu. Oh no. Jeez. Oh no. Oh no. No, no, no. I don't think I can handle that. <laughs> I noticed your Shadow Lugia. (laughs) Oh no. no. What's this? This is Mewtwo and he's slaughtering innocent. Oh no. Oh god. Rated M for graphic content. Oh no, no. Oh, we don't need to go down this road. I, this is not how I wanted my my Coliseum three. This is not how I was hoping it would go down. This but is not it. This is just a Faustian not it. deal. Oh god! For, for yeah, monkeys paw curls. Um, but for all, all kidding aside, though, um, I do think though that it's it's important that Pokemon has managed to say stay user friendly but also age appropriate. 
for newcomers because mm-hmm. that's part of the why I think it has such universal appeal. Is if you're an old fan who's like, um, who's nostalgic for it, you can still go back and play with your favorites, and they're all still there, mm-hmm. and the core concept is the same. But yeah. it's also it's easy for for kids to get into and understand because that's how this fran- that that's how these franchises keep going. Absolutely. Yeah, I think maintaining that sort of, you know, universal appeal and that core to the games to be able to reach, at this point, across generations is so key to it. Um, And being able to reach out to younger kids and, you know, when I hear uh, stories of my friends' kids, um, you know, jumping up and down and um, telling me about their favorite Pokemon and such. it, it, it's really it's really a wonderful thing because I'm like, I used to be that kid too. And in some ways, it still am like, because of mm-hmm. yeah. how this how happy this um, franchise makes me. And so even if they're like they kind of have to broaden their appeal for how massive a franchise is, I, you know, our generation is still a big part of that user base and um of that fandom so if you know if you are the head of if you're the head of game freak and the pokemon company what exactly would you want to see from pokemon going forward um and i guess uh josh what what's what would kind of like get you for uh pokemon going forward i mean i understand that the um Oh, sorry. Let me get my, gather my thoughts here really quick. Um, so, I understand that there is a value in the universal appeal of um, Pokemon as it is right now. However, um, I mean, while the game has evolved mechanically, um, structurally, you know, it still uses the same form, the same formula, and it's still, you know, at its core, it's still the exact same thing. So I guess really what I'm looking for in um, in new Pokemon games is for Game Freak to take more risks and uh, really um, capture some ambition, you know, um, make some you know big changes. And that kind of um, was why I was so excited to see um, Pokemon Legends Arceus um, in the most recent Pokemon Presents. You know, it represents a major shift uh, towards something that you know, I don't think anybody was expecting, really. Um, it kind of just came out of nowhere, so I'm kind of shocked that they even want to go that route, because up until now, they've just played everything so safe. They've, you know, all the games have been largely the same um, at their core. I mean, they, they switched things up a little bit with Sun and Moon um, by removing the gyms. But really, I mean, the Island Trials, let's face it, they were gyms, right? So... Um, <laughs> Different, different coat of paint, which is still, like, something, but never really a big shakeup of the formula. Coliseum and XD, honestly, like, they were probably the biggest shakeup because they didn't have gym leaders. They had kind of more traditional... They had a more traditional JRPG structure. So, that's what I'm curious about with Legends, is I want to see if the... Okay, so is this going to be... I, I want to know what else there is to do besides catch Pokemon. Mm-hmm. But, um... Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm but I'm curious. Yeah, it's a, it's a definitely a big step for the series. Yeah, that's um that I guess that's really what I'm looking for um in in new Pokemon games. Um, I mean, you look at Pokemon and the the as a series. I mean, there are like well over um eight hundred nine hundred. How many do we have now? <laughs> um, it's I think we're getting to nine hundred, honestly. But you know, there are all these regions, and there are so many up there. There's so much opportunity to tell these stories and build these worlds and really like let us see you know like what this world is all about in like a completely different way than we've seen it before i i really want to see uh game freak take more risks um with their ip in that regard because let's face it pokemon's gonna make money no matter what they do with it right so right yeah <laughs> there are always there's always you know something that's going to appeal to someone with Pokemon and and I think that's that's kind of accurate that there is so only so many risks that they can take because once you become kind of you know once you become kind of the the royalty of the media landscape there is kind of a uh, conservatism that steps in to retain you know kind of retain your crown in a way 
Um, and I think that kind of goes into this question that I was thinking about a lot. You know, <laughs> I don't usually pay much attention to basketball, but I had heard um, a quote from Steph Curry earlier this week when he had said, you know, I have a lot to accomplish, but nothing left to prove. And that made me kind of think about our, this, you know, upcoming conversation about Pokemon. How accurate do we think this statement is to the Pokemon franchise? That's a good one. I like it. I like the insinuation. Um, I'm not sure I entirely agree. Um, you know, maybe I would have even just a few months ago, even. But now we've got all this hype for Pokemon Legends Arceus and um, <laughs> the Diamond and Pearl remakes. They're mostly outsourced. Uh, not everyone's crazy about their look either. I think they look great, you know, whatever. But like all eyes are on Arceus now, uh, at least in my anecdotal experience. It's new, it's different, it seems bold. Um, so I want Game Freak to go out there and prove they've got the chops for this. Uh, possibly this, you know, cliche as it is to say, but possibly this evolution, this big next step. And they certainly do need to prove that. And I'm on board with it either way. But if they can go farther with this, um, that'll be great. I sort of feel like we're past the point that Pokemon is like the plucky experiment. Because it really was when it started out. Like it was an unprecedented endeavor. Um, but nowadays, like we've been saying, it's this huge multimedia empire, and and yeah, it's a little and and while I do think that like the uh, the formula is part of the appeal, it's not like they couldn't afford to branch out every now and again, which is why I'm thinking Legends is will hopefully be kind of that, and maybe it'll offer this sort of two tiered experience for Pokemon. Um, and maybe that will also be good for the franchise's longevity. Because, um, yeah, we've reached a point where, like, okay, so the Gen games, when, like, Gen 8 came, I, I, I enjoyed Sword and Shield a lot, but they were controversial, didn't live up to a lot of people's expectations, some of which were reasonable and some of which were not, but, the, but there were flaws to be pointed out, and the game really did seem like, okay, well, this could be more. Like, what it is is fine, but it could be better. And and even like going into like the, the Sword and Shield DLC, it's like, wow, this is a lot more polished and a little more fleshed out, and I like exploring these zones a lot more than I liked exploring the base game zones. Um, so maybe we'll see more of that um, going forward. Peter, what you were saying just now about it being just fine, um, I, I swear, right before that Pokemon Presents presentation, I was working on like this big feature about um, how... Pokemon needs to evolve, you know, very much the conversation that we're having right now. And, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, I, I wrote in that feature at the time, um, if, you know, if Pokemon, if, if you are fine with Pokemon being just fine, then that's great. I'm happy for you. But at the same time, should we settle for just fine? Yeah, you know, no, that's totally fair. And, yeah. um, oh, sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. Oh no, but like I said, that's totally fair. And it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, franchises like Pokemon, they do well, they do need to keep their audience engaged. Um, and while the formula is, again, it's good for familiarity, it's good for bringing on new players, um, for longtime fans who played like every single gen, uh, you can't really keep releasing the same game as you did in the late 90s. I know that's an oversimplification, but um, but it, I think the, the, the sentiment holds true. That, like, yeah, you really do want to see them strive for something greater, even if they don't quite make it. Like, even if it's a swing and a miss. Like, if, if Legends ends up coming out and it's, like, uh, you know, running at 14 frames a second... And your switch will explode <laughs> after you play it. Um, then maybe maybe we'll be like, okay, a game freak. Maybe don't bite off more than you can chew. But I'll be, still be glad they tried. Yeah, I, yeah. I prefer um, I prefer something not panning out because they tried something new rather than something not panning out. But it's exactly the same as before. So why did it not pan out? Right, and I think that kind of represents that there's um you with game development there's especially with these long-running franchises 
there are um, fans that, you know, sometimes I think, I think all of us on here have pretty um, reasonable thoughts and have like coherent strains of this is what I'd like to see. And then there's also just throngs of fans who are saying, who will say things that are like, they're, they exist in tension with each other. They're like, I want it to be completely new, but I want it to be so nostalgic and old. <laughs> and, you know, and, and as game developers, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not like, oh, the poor, you know, like the poor Pokemon company. But as um, artists who are making games, I sympathize with that, that when you have these expectations and uh, these expectations are so much different from so many of your demographics around the world, you can only do so much with that. And because of that, a lot of times it is that regression to the conservative um, mean of it. And I agree with y'all that seeing some like um, Pokemon Legends is something that I'd really like to see going forward and how it could possibly build on the DLC of Sword and Shield and that idea of having these more wild areas, these open worlds, um, because it can broaden that appeal. And I think that kind of brings us to kind of the close of this conversation is that we we've talked a lot about what this franchise is and what it has become and how we've related to it, whether that's through um, real-life role-playing, whether that's through um, tournaments and mechanics, whether that's just through the personality of the Pokemon. So I kind of wanted to ask us to like dig a little bit, and I wanted to ask, what does Pokemon mean to you when you think about it? Um, and uh, Nikki, can we start with you? It's, it's connection, and here's why. Because not only you connect with your link cables and all these fancy <laughs> things, you, you know, young kids with your technology and your cables and whatever, but also because you can play together and fight each other. And if you lose, you say, oh no. And if you win, you say, very cool. And you could, uh, you know, trade the Pokemon cards or if if you can find some that the scalpers didn't get to already, you can buy the Pokemon cards. What a what an idea! What a concept! Yeah, hey, wow. gro mm -hmm. gro grown grown adults buying Happy Meals. What is wrong with you? I don't mind grown adults <laughs> buying Happy Meals as long as they leave some for everyone else. I don't. I don't. Okay, yeah, I don't mind them buying Happy Meals. I do mind them buying them. Buying in bulk. the whole store out. Yeah, you could buy the toys. You could trade the toys when you don't want the toys anymore. You donate them. Uh, you you can uh, you know talk to people about it, and it's all about connection. Here's here's one of my who's here's an additional anecdote. When I was uh, filling in for an open teacher position in a third grade class um, for a few months, uh, of course I got to know the students uh, in that time and they liked Pokemon and I liked Pokemon. They're like, oh, Miss F, Miss F, what's your favorite Pokemon? And I wasn't gonna tell them Verizian, like the, they don't even know what that is probably. So I told them the easy <laughs> ones. I'm like, Mudkip and Snivy. And uh, a few months later, when it when uh, the position got filled and it was my last day there um i had to go to a different room for a little bit they called me back and the main teacher of that room was like miss f we have a surprise for you and the kids brought me this card that they made i still have it and it's like thank you miss f and they in their little third grade way that they don't really get it quite right but it's still really cute they drew a little snivy and a mudkip playing together and they all signed the inside you know and that's like the kind of connection that you can just get from people just by saying you like a certain pokemon it doesn't even have to be that like deep like oh i fought you in a duel to the death and you didn't go to the shadow realm no it can just be like a conversation you know did somebody say Shadow Realm? Oh. But yeah, you know those things, they stick with you, you know? I'm not crying, you're crying. That's really, <laughs> really sweet, Nikki. It was very sweet. I still have the card. I, I love it. It's wonderful. Oh. Quentin, what, is, what does Pokemon mean to you? 
<clears throat> so there's kind of a beauty to me. Um, I'll start with something that seems kind of tangential. I'll get there. But um, there's this real symmetry uh, between the creations of both Pokemon and The Legend of Zelda. Uh, we were talking earlier about how Satoshi Tajiri grew up collecting insects, and he brought that to life in a digital space. Um, Shigeru Miyamoto, as, as a lot of us know, um, his whole thing with the original Legend of Zelda was this desire to rekindle the feeling of his boyhood. Um, exploring the woods and caves near Kyoto, he went hiking, found a lake, he loved it, he wanted to bring that into gaming. So Zelda was his uh, miniature garden project, a reflection of those times. And uh, for me, uh, Pokemon has always meant escapism, but the kind of escapism that doesn't necessarily tie me to my chair and mess up my posture, even worse than it already is with, with a lot of these other darn games I play. Um, there's nothing more soothing to my soul than a stroll through the woods with my whatever at my side. Now it's my Switch. It used to be, you know, 3DS, DS, etc., etc. Uh, Pokemon remains a big, big part of that. It's active escapism, if you will. Uh, kind of the culmination of Miyamoto and Tajiri's visions. I'm in my early 30s now, and I still love finding lakes and state parks, taking a break, catching a Pikachu. It'll never get old for me. That's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, you oh, you guys are making me feel all warm and fuzzy. Oh, <laughs> um, Peter, what has Pokemon meant to you? Um, I think for me, Pokemon has sort of meant uh, comfort. Um, and it's sort of it's sort of to me, it's one of those things that's like always been there, and very likely will always be there. It's like. I can play this game, and I know what to do, and I go on an adventure uh, with these creatures, and all my friends in real life like are going on the same adventure, and we can trade experiences, and it's just sort of stuff that like, um, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a little, I guess a little cliche, but it's like it takes me back to when I was, you know, ten years old, and I was playing pretend with my friends, and. You know, and and really not a whole lot has changed. Like it's like, okay, here I am, and still, I can still come back to this. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And and Josh, what what is Pokemon meant to you? I'm I'm like a little just winded from all this. <laughs> this is wonderful. <laughs> uh, Pokemon means to me. Um, I, I mentioned it earlier um, in the podcast. But Pokemon was one of the first um, games that I got really into. It's one of, it was one of the first text-heavy games uh, that I really uh, got to know and love and appreciate. And um, I just kind of gained an appreciation for like the stories that can be told through um, through these kinds of mediums. I mean, Pokemon's not really known for having you know uh, incredible uh, complex plots or stories or anything like that. But it's not really about the stories um, in the games themselves necessarily, but the stories that you um, that you yourself have of playing the games, um, in a sense. And while the plots have you know gotten more complex over the years, now sort of, um, <laughs> I think that culminated a little into the DS's life cycle there. Um, but that's beside the point, though. This, the the point that I'm trying to get at, I guess, is that. Um, you know, that love of storytelling was fostered at such a young age because of Pokemon and being able to experience these journeys and stories and, you know, going on an adventure yourself. Um, I guess that's why it's stuck with me this long. Absolutely. That spirit of adventure lives on through Pokemon and leads through to all these different RPGs and experiences that we love. Um, thank you all for that. And as as for me i i think i've been um enlightened by just some of the things that you guys have already said you know connection and comfort adventure and experience and wonder and i think a lot of that has gone into what pokemon means to me as well you know it was the it was the you know the first game i got it was the me riding uh, on a plane back from seeing my family and uh, having somebody, having another boy on the plane um, 
help me catch Kyogre in Pokemon Sapphire. Um, and, and someone who ended up actually living in my hometown. It was a very strange occurrence and still known to this day. <laughs> um, it was being able to, you know, in, in the last few years, uh, going to a, uh, riding on a bus to a, to a protest and me pulling out my Pokemon game and another, <laughs> and another grown adult pulling out their Pokemon game and that person becoming one of my best friends. And it's gone to when I was a camp counselor and I had a, I had a little, I had a little girl who, um, was going through a really tough time. Um, her parents were um, going through a divorce and you could tell it was affecting her and she really loved Pokemon and you know, I didn't want to show favoritism, but for her birthday, I, um, slipped a pack of Pokemon cards into her lunchbox while she was playing. And <laughs> I didn't tell her that I gave her these cards. Um, and then, you know, after she has lunch and I'm over having lunch with the other counselors, she runs over and she's like, I just had these cards in my lunchbox. And look, look, it has, it has Altaria. It has my favorite. And the look on her face is just the thing that I think I'm always going to think of when I think about Pokemon and the joy that these that this little you know couple of Game Boy games that could <laughs> turned into um, so it's been really wonderful going uh, through this sort of history and what we've loved about these games with y'all um, so thank you for being on this panel oh you're welcome anytime thank you for having me yes thank you yeah, I, I loved it. I was uh, grinning from ear to ear, especially <laughs> during just that last little question that we had. Everybody's answers. I love it. I'm, I'm happy to be here. <laughs> you know when the pack has her favorite Pokemon in it, you know it's called Destiny. Pokemon? <laughs> right. <laughs> Destiny Bond? <laughs> Absolutely. As someone who loves using ghost types, I think that is very fitting. Um, don't come at me with my stalled dusclops. <laughs> That's a classic. But this has been episode 278 of Retro Encounter, celebrating the 25th anniversary of Pokemon. Um, thank you so much for listening and sticking around with us. So uh, this is an RPG fan podcast, and we have three other wonderful podcasts. Random Encounter, which is about random occurrences, Rhythm Encounter, which is about RPG music, and our wonderful partners over at Phoenix Edge who cover a lot of current RPG news. You can rate and review us on the podcatcher of your choice. We absolutely love feedback and we'd love to hear it from you, Pokemon or otherwise. And coming up on Retro soon, we're going to have some pretty cool episodes. We have an episode on, I have two episodes on Muramasa the Demon Blade. The Wii game that became a PS Vita port from Vanillaware. We have more Final Fantasy XIV coming your way, and we've already done quite a bit, so it's just going to keep on rolling. And we're going to get to uh, someone who is tangentially related to Final Fantasy XIV, Yasumi Matsuno's Crimson Shroud. So we have some really exciting things happening. But for the time being, if we want to reach out to people, how can we be reached on social media or otherwise? And uh, I'll start with Peter. Uh, if you want to find me, you can reach out to me on Twitter at I Have Fury. You can also email me, PeterT at RPGFan.com. Excellent. And Quentin? Uh, the best way to reach me is probably on Twitter, which uh, my account handle is Quentin writes because I'm Quentin and I write. <gasps> wow. <laughs> Mind blown. Mind blown. And Josh, where can we find you? Okay, you can catch me on Twitter at um, jlewis underscore writing, or you can visit my website, jlewiscreative.com. And that's L-O-U-I-S, not L-E-W-I-S. Everyone spells that wrong. And Nikki, where can we find you on the internet? Unfortunately, nowhere yet, 
my social media as a secret as I plot to revive Team Plasma. It's really hush-hush. <laughs> it's the good Team Plasma, though. Don't worry. Okay. We're, we'll keep that a secret, to be sure, because I want to see that, too. Is, totally. is, is, is Getsis still hiding in, like, a dumpster somewhere? <laughs> we will make sure he stays in that dumpster. Don't worry. This is the good Team yeah, Plasma. Good. I am I'm willing to do I'm willing to do terrible things to bring back N. I'm just saying. Yes. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> so say we all. So say we all. <laughs> I say the yay. Yes, please. And listeners, if you'd like to reach me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram as at Ivalice, or because I am the social media, I'm one of the social media people, you can find me on our general social media RPG fan com accounts. So with that, thank you guys for being here. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have a super day. Bye. Bye. I wanna Adios. Have a good one. No one. Dun dun. To catch them is my real test. To train them is my call.